Welcome back to week 11 of NBC Sports Edge's DFS Building Block Show. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined by friend in life, Kyle Dvorak. Kyle, we started the DFS Tourney Recap Show a couple weekends ago. Was there anything before we get into this chaotic slate? Slates that are never safe on Fridays, by the way. Maybe Friday morning. By Friday afternoon, no one is safe. Anything you want to just recall for everyone as they're listening, lessons learned that we can take away moving into week 11. I want to get your opinion on this because I do have an opinion, but I, I want to see if I'll disagree with you first on the, should you have played Dearness Johnson or, and Dearness Johnson and Mark Ingram in the same lineup conversation. I saw that hat on Twitter. One thing to me that was like, I thought was the most obvious point of the point that most spoke to me was that uh, like all the 150 players were over the field on lineups with both of them. And that's not to say that everyone who plays 150 is instantly sharp, but you will get knocked out of the lobby so quickly entering 150 lineups into anything other than the mini max, uh, which is what's 50 cents, 75 bucks a week, anything other than that, you will leave the lobby so quickly and bleed tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So I do not have faith that every one of those players is a profitable player, but I do have faith that the majority of them, them as a cohort are profitable players. So I do like, I look at their lineups and look at just their percentages on what players they're rostering. And yeah, someone said on Twitter, and I'll, I'll take their word for it, that they were over the field on double cheap running back chalk running back lineup. So I personally think there were probably better ways to build unique lineups, to build high, high first place equity lineups than fading those running backs because they just projected so well. It ended up being kind of a chalky slate because just the, the chalk stacks got there plus the chalk running backs got there. So I'm not sure you can take away anything from the results, but I am taking away something from the process of the best players. And that's that when the value is so incredibly obvious and because the running backs, the, you know, the standard deviations are a little smaller than with receivers, they just kind of took it. I agree with you. I ended up going with both of them in larger field tourneys, though, and we even showed on the recap show the $3 tournament winner, the first down, very large field, 75K entries, I believe. And that winning lineup did have the barbell approach you talked about in taking the 80-85% of the field that rostered both Mark Ingram and Dearness Johnson, and then just going different with Josh Allen to Stephon Diggs and the double stack at Patriots players at 3% or less with Hunter Henry without John New Smith and then Ramondre Stevenson late call since Damian Harris was a late scratch as well. So you did still get the unique ownership in the guys at less than 4%. If we can get that, I genuinely don't see a problem ever with rostering the two chief running backs, especially since the other ones we were talking about, they were all good plays, but the ones we were really concerned about were more expensive. And so thus the ones that you paid down for opened up a lot more. Whereas this week, as we move into this slate, the cheapest one, 5K, there's five, there's 5,100 Jeff Wilson as well. There is a 5,700 Miles Gaskin. There are $5,800 players like Mark Ingram, also 5,700, I believe. So these players are no longer not only like 4,500, 4,700, and 1,000 makes a big difference. They're all jumbled together as, again, touch-based workhorses, except I think it's easier to poke holes in their matchups this week, whereas Ingram, we even talked about it. I love the Saints bet because one player, a running back, Kamara, should not have moved that line to begin with. It was a terrible line. And so, like, I like getting all over marking them anyhow. But also, I can say this week, Although they didn't move his price, it's easier for me to say, well, I don't like Mark Ingram because like, I'm worried about missing the starting tackles in that game against the Eagles. So just little things like that I think I can nitpick this week. Also, we'll go through a lot of those cheap running backs and discuss them all. But overall, yes, I think if you can get that literally 6%, 5% on those players that were actually, that's why it's frustrating, pretty easy to get on, in my opinion. I didn't get on either, but they were pretty easy to get on. Then I think it's okay to take that barbell approach and suck it up and play those those cheapy guys that you know are going to be the heaviest rostered players in tournaments. But with that, we did get some late news with the Amari Cooper COVID list, not only out this week, but on Thursday as well. But we'll talk about that on Wednesday night, Wednesday afternoon. That's when we're moving the Building Block Show Thanksgiving week next week. We'll be here Wednesday afternoon, 6 p.m. Eastern, discussing it then. For now, let's stick with Amari Cooper, the Chiefs lineup, the rest of the Cowboys players, and this week 11 slate. And let's hear your decision point, the one conundrum you've been running into when building lineups. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of weeks, it's like one of two things. It's how do you approach the, like last week, it was the obvious values. Can you get away from playing both of the great running back plays? My answer was mostly no. I definitely had some lineups that had only one of the two good value running backs, but I was more on the double cheap running back, cheap good running back plays. This week is like some other weeks. It's the one game that trumps all games in terms of game total, game environment, having the best players in it, not just a high total, but it makes sense. It, it logically follows. And it's obviously Chiefs first Cowboys with uh, last I saw a 56 total, and that is five and a half points or maybe six points ahead of the next highest total. So it's just so clear. Some, some slates, there's a bunch of games that are 49, 50, 51, 52. That's a pretty tight grouping, all things considered. Or some slates, we get two games kind of like this, a 44 and a half and a 50, or sorry, a 54 and a half and a 56 total. So you can say, oh, well, there's a game that is in the same, you know, vicinity with smaller, you know, lesser ownership. This doesn't really have, we don't have that dynamic on this slate. It's can you go full GPP galaxy brain, bro, and write off this game, get away from it. Cause I don't think there's many unique ways to attack this game. Like everyone knows how to play the chiefs and really without Amari Cooper, it's obvious that there are like maybe three good pass catchers uh, that you can play on Dallas. You're not really finding ways to get unique. I have like one or two maybe that you could go to, but for the most part, it's like you correlate yourself with a lot of the field on multiple of your spots. Say you just go quarterback receiver, opposing wide receiver. I think you have to double stack, but just say you do that. That's three spots you've correlated with 15% of the field. I mean, you've correlated with more than that. That's three spots you have probably duped with 15% of the field. You've correlated it with other, many more lineups. So I still think it's not necessarily a terrible play to go to, like, I actually think I'm leaning towards going to this game and then trying to build some different leverage points in my lineup elsewhere. But you could definitely swing me on it yet because I'm I'm always willing to fade the good games. This one to me is just such a tier of its own that that's why it's the decision point. Yes, a lot of things to attack because basically what you're asking is, can you go full GBP bro and then play five guys, let's say, out of this game, knowing that Amari Cooper essentially screwed up prices. Like Gallup would have been higher if Cooper was scratched before they made salaries. Schultz maybe still stays the same. And he's honestly my favorite pivot now over Gallup. But maybe even we're going to see people mush Cedric Wilson or Noah Brown get very cute in large fields. We're probably going to see people play a lot of Byron Pringle, thinking that since he ran the second most routes, he's now their number three receiver. So yeah, I I think I'm okay with it. What I would say though, is that it is an afternoon game. Also the pivot game, everyone's favorite, is an afternoon game, the Raiders Bengals, that's going to get steamed. Even projections across the board of people are using models behind the scenes, paying for sub sites, are showing like Joe Burrow with over 300 passing yards. So Joe Burrow, I expect to come in less rostered than let's say Lamar Jackson, someone who has a higher ceiling weekly. And so that then makes me think anyone you play outside of Devontae Adams at 1 p.m. is going to be under rostered because everyone's preserving their slots for these two games, more importantly, Cowboys and Chiefs. So I don't even know if it's a week we're looking to stack games so much as just, and it's cliche, but play the best plays because the best plays at 1 p.m. will be under rostered because everyone only wants to play Cowboys Chiefs and is scared. And then if you end up getting on chalk at 1 p.m., then everyone would just pivot if it fails to Bengals Raiders. So it's all getting mushed. It's all getting stuffed in the afternoon. So... Then what I've been doing is I've asked myself, okay, this slate is dictated for my building by what you and the field do at running back. Because whether you spin down, we've talked about a couple of them, but AJ Dillon chalk, which is 1 PM, he's going to get mushed as well. And just know, like, even if AJ Dillon hits, you have no knowledge. We've talked about this in the past. You have no idea what you can do with Cowboys chiefs. If AJ Dillon is good, because everyone else in the other games you have rostered are going to be 20% as well. So what's even the point? Um, Mark Ingram, Daryl Williams, uh, Jeremy Nichols out. So Deontay Foreman, Adrian Peterson, if you want to get there, Jeff Wilson, Alex Collins, even if you pay down, if you pay up, you still got Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, and you can do either intelligently and being contrarian, but your approach then at running back naturally fills in, at least for me, what it's done has naturally filled in my wide receivers for me. Because if I pay up for a McCaffrey or Dalvin Cook, then I can't necessarily fit like Adams and Tyreek Hill. And then going down to the middle tier receivers, which again, I don't mind. This week, I'm pretty much just trying to cover my ass across the board. It's like, okay, if I don't play AJ Dillon, what is like, what is my answer to combat the field that plays AJ Dillon? Is it Dalvin Cook? 
because that's the opposite running back. And thus, like, that's my leverage. Is my leverage Devontae Adams over A.J. Dillon? Can you play A.J. Dillon and Devontae Adams together? So I'm basically just always asking myself when I when I have a chalk piece in, someone we know is going to come in over-rostered, what is my leverage here since I know the field's going to roster them? And then my, my decision point as I loop my way around, I'm explaining every rung of the ladder to you as opposed to just starting at the end of the ladder. So then what I get back to while I continue tinkering with running backs and they logically fill in the rest of my receivers is, okay, and this is my decision point. How many players, and if so, which ones, offer the same ceiling as Tyreek Hill? I think it's very simple to get to Tyreek Hill over Travis Kelsey because Travis Kelsey doesn't end you. He gives you an edge at a onesie position, but doesn't end you with a 40 or 50 burger like Tyreek Hill does. Even like Tyreek Hill's floor is probably like 12 catches, 10 catches for 100 yards and a touchdown. And so you just then I ask myself, what is the leverage off Tyreek Hill? Is it playing Devontae Adams with no A.J. Dillon? Because that means also maybe I get Adams, the number one receiver on the slate, and get the touchdown equity away from A.J. Dillon, thus killing two birds with one stone, Hill and Dillon? Or are there going to be a lot of lineups that play Adams and Hill, and that's a unique way to approach it? So basically I'm asking, like, how many people can match Tyreek Hill on this slate? And then, even so, are we okay to fade him? That's a good question. I I will, let me see if I can genuinely find this. I would say probably like Devontae Adams, Jamar Chase, Christian McCaffrey, probably Dalvin Cook, CeeDee Lamb now with no Amari Cooper. At that point, I'm like already starting to run out. Cause I mean, really how many people can like match his ceiling? It's like, that's probably it. He, I mean, he probably has a ceiling that technically, if you were to look at the 99th percentile, it's probably just Christian McCaffrey, but sort of roping in within the reasonable, like one to two standard deviations above expectation. It's probably six players would be my guess, which is why I find it really difficult to fade him. And I do like what you said that like, especially when we're getting these good tight ends back, I, I really have never felt like Travis Kelsey was going to end me. It's just pretty rare that he can match these high end wide receiver scores. We know that he does play like a wide receiver, but he still has a well sub 10 eight on. He still has roughly, I believe in the past, like 30 or so games, as many 40 point games as, as Tyreek Hill is 50 point games. Like there is, uh, there's levels to this and he is very good, even at his price as a raw play, but I'm not sure that if you don't spend that wide receiver, you're not just spending your money better. Uh, one thing I, of all the things you said, this is kind of a dumb one to pick out. Do you think people actually play Byron Pringle? Cause I, I felt uh, seen, but in an uncomfortable way when you're like, people are going to see Byron Pringle ran a lot of routes. And I was like, he did run a lot of routes. You know, obviously as a one game sample, he does seem to me like a player that like legit, like, like he ran a lot of routes, but did he, I don't think he actually did. Yeah. He got four catches, 46 yards. He scored once though. Maybe that's unfortunately enough to get him in some line, but he does seem like a player that like the average normie might not even know who he is. I felt uncomfortably seen on that spot though. But that's the thing though. Like you are, you are talking about what I was thinking is like, I, yeah, I could, I could see it. I don't think people play Byron Pringle, but the fact that you said it, maybe they do. And that just points to the fact that this game has, I really think it's difficult to say this game has any real leverage to it. The only thing I would say is that I agree that people are going to view uh, the Las Vegas game as the obvious pivot but if we get more and more, I think it'll pass equilibrium because I've already heard it talked about on podcasts, written about in articles, and it doesn't even give you the uh, you know the added benefit of I like a lot of times if it's the late game that's popular, stack up an early game, and if it goes off, you have at least a fighting chance. You're just flipping coins, and if it gets close to a 50-50, mm-hmm. obviously one of these games has better chance of shooting out. So I, I think that game's like the the worst possible pivot because everyone talks about it as a pivot. And maybe like maybe Gallup would have got lost in the shuffle. I was guessing like he was going to be around 18, 20% before the Cooper news. Now he's like very clearly a cash game play. Everyone's going to play him. I still wanted to play Schultz. Schultz is an awesome play now, but I also wonder how much Schultz will get steamed. I wonder if like no one's going to play Ezekiel Elliott. I think maybe he's the one who kind of gets lost for this Cowboys offense. I'm leaning towards playing just a 1v1, just a skinny stack right now towards that game because I definitely don't want to go, to answer your first question, I don't want to go overweight on it still. I think I can still get exposure elsewhere. I think this game is still, in my opinion, volatile enough on both sides of the ball, especially missing Cooper now, um, a change in the Cowboys offensive line, the Chiefs offense, who I still trust, but also like, I don't trust them just because they came back in one game against a poor Raiders defense. So I think it's volatile. A poor Raiders defense 
terribly coached. Yeah. What an awful across the board. Plan. Yeah. You know, a red zone turnover certainly helped the Chiefs, but I think they're volatile enough still to where I can take their floor players like a Tyreek Hill, like a Daryl Williams, if CEH gets scratched. Daryl Williams, awesome play, just because he has such a high floor on DraftKings in particular with the catches. Chiefs, the last three games, have had 24 running back targets. So clearly a more concerted approach in getting guys underneath, including their running backs, targets, including Tyreek Hill, who has double-digit targets in six of his last seven games and has averaged 13 in his last three. So that's why, like, the 13 targets in his last three and their new concerted approach to dump it off, that's why I just think no matter what I do with this game, Tyreek Hill's floor even is incredible and arguably like the highest floor of any player on this slate as well since he's getting peppered. So still trying to figure out what I'm going to do with it all together, but that's what I ask myself when I'm building is can I get away from Tyreek Hill because I think he's the safest player on this slate outside of Christian McCaffrey, who I think has a really good argument See, since he naturally, I think he comes in under-rostered anyhow, but he naturally also gives you leverage off Cam Newton, or if you want to stack with Cam Newton, Kevin Newton, Cam Newton, really cheap at quarterback. You can just say, okay, rather than Cam Newton getting the touchdowns, those are Christian McCaffrey touchdowns. So that gets me off the cheap quarterback, and that allows me to match Tyreek Hill's ceiling, unless you play Tyreek and Christian McCaffrey. There are ways to do that, but if you do that, you also see yourself going back to the same plays everyone else is going to play, like Jeff Wilson, like Michael Gallup, because you have to be able to afford those two players. That's why I also love Jamar, I love Jamar Chase. I'm sure everyone likes Jamar Chase. But I think a lot of people, I'm guessing 25, 20 or 25% will play T. Higgins. I'm just chasing, chasing that dragon, man. You can't get enough of it. And that's fine. But like Jamar Chase, clearly a significantly higher ceiling than T. Higgins. And I wonder if he just gets lost with Devon, not lost, but Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill above him. I'm fine doing a 1v1 and saying, well, I think Jamar Chase can match Tyreek Hill's ceiling. Let's go here. Let's save this 1800 or whatever it is and then put it elsewhere to get contrarian. So those are like my overarching thoughts right now. That's what I'm playing with. But as it stands right now, I definitely like McCaffrey a whole lot. I like Chase the way he fits in a whole lot. And then, yeah, Tyreek Hill and Schultz are, and Daryl Williams are kind of where I'm at with the Cowboys-Chiefs game. Having said that, I want to hear your highest roster player or just flyer for large field tournaments right now. So I think you could put both in the same category. It's like highest roster player. Like uh, I probably the highest roster player for me is typically, you know, one of the highest rostered players in the, you know, in the entire DFS space. It's just whether I am coming close to like, is my highest rostered player 20% of the chalk running back that's 40? That's me being high. That's not me being high on them, despite them being a large exposure. So I like to think of it in terms of my exposure versus the field. That'll be Joe Mixon. Because I, I, I do think this is the... Kansas City game, given its total, I am giving deference to Vegas that despite like, I mean, Kansas City looked like pretty mediocre to subpar for like four, maybe even six straight weeks. And I don't want to give them credit for being fully back. I'm not writing off that stretch by any means, because as we, you know, talked about, it was a horrible game plan where, you know, the, the obvious just play took cover too high and you have at least found yourself working in the right direction. No, the Raiders chose not to do that at all. And they don't have the defensive talent to contend with Kansas City anyways. So it was not a, oh, Kansas City's back to normal, back to peak Patrick Mahomes MVP. But if Vegas is going to tell me this game could put up more points that, you know, a touchdown more than any other game just at the median projection, I'm probably going to lean towards that and completely write off the, the Raiders game outside of the running backs, hoping that on either side, the one team establishes the run, does it successfully, and also scores on the ground. And I believe Joe Mixon is probably the best way to play that, specifically because I do think the Cincinnati side is the most more popular side. I think both Chase and Higgins come in as top eight rostered receivers because one is, like, it's a good game. I'm not saying it's not a good game. Both teams have good offenses, two really good offenses at times, and neither have good defenses, as we talked about, especially with the, the Raiders. But that could just result in, you know, both teams moving the ball well and then scoring three rushing touchdowns or something like that. So I think if there's a game I want to try and scoop away all the touchdowns with a running back, it's much more likely to be this game, the Las Vegas versus Cincinnati game, than it is the other game. So I think for me, probably given how popular I think the Kansas City stacks are, probably can't afford to play them with any Bengals receivers, probably can't even afford to do it with any Hunter Renfro or Darren Waller. And for that reason, I'm probably looking towards the, the running backs in this game hoping I score away the touchdowns from the more popular Higgins, the more popular Chase. I like that call a lot. Joe Mixon will definitely not be rostered, even though it will be a popular leverage game. And Mixon yep. is a good play, regardless of like whether 
whether our opponents have to flex to that game or not. So I like that call a lot. Right now, as I've been sifting through like cheaper options to say, okay, I want to pay up. Who can I play? Because what everyone's going to do is just go with the cash game build. Um, Gallup's going to be popular now. Like I already talked about, I think Byron Pringle will be unnecessarily popular. John Bates, everyone's going to play him. Uh, if, assuming Logan Thomas gets ruled out because he's a $2,500 tight end. And this is like one of the main lessons we learned in our recap show a couple weeks ago that we've seen several times this year. Just don't follow the cheap tight end. Literally find the pivot tight end. John Bates gives me big Adam Troutman scoring zero in like yeah. week three. Of, or is it like two or one last year? But he gives me big zero points at 2,500 vibes. And and that's an early game. So it's not even like it's Foster Moreau, late scratch Waller. I have this men tight end. Let's plug him in right now. It is mm -hmm. the entire field waking up before they go out with their friends to watch the games at bars is playing John Bates because he's stone man. It's the easiest, it's the easiest fade in tournaments, especially with guys. I know like Denny's mentioned Cole Komet, just given the way tight ends against the Ravens have worked out this year. Also like, you know, a good skinny stack Cole Komet. If you want to go that way with Lamar Jackson, who again will be severely under rostered given his ceiling. And we see that no Akeem Hicks, no Khalil Mack, Eddie Goldman, I believe, is going to be out as well. So, like, it's actually a great spot for Lamar Jackson, too, assuming we get Marquise Brown back. If, but if we don't, maybe even Lamar and Bateman, Bateman cheap, and we'll go under-rostered. So, yeah, I, I think that's a pretty good option. But in sifting through the cheap options, Alex Collins is one that stood out. Pete Carroll did say that Rashad Penny would get mixed in more. I don't believe him. I don't know what that means. Rashad Penny didn't get a single touch last week, whereas Alex Collins instead played a, got a season-high share of backfield touches, 73%. And so, like, he saw what I was looking at anyways because, you know, we expect a flop lag performance from the Seahawks against an injured Cardinals defense. And I was just looking at him saying, like, no one's going to play him. He's in the afternoon. Everyone's going to get jammed on all the other running backs instead. Like, Alex Collins will fly under the radar. He's a cheap one because he has the cheapest option and only 100 less than Jeff Wilson, so no one will see him. DeAndre Carter, if you want to get off John Bates, is another good one, in my opinion, because, and this assumes Curtis Samuel gets ruled out, but we saw a takeover as Washington's number two receiver last week. And now, in all three games this year that DeAndre Carter has played 60-plus percent of the snaps for, he does have at least six targets in all those games. Uh, if everyone's going to play Bates, you can play DeAndre Carter at 32, 3,300. No one's going to come in on him, especially since he's around Byron Pringle, Cedric Wilson, all those cheap guys. And he's he's honestly, in my opinion, a really good option because you can play him with Christian McCaffrey or a naked Cam Newton if you want to do that. Also, Cam Newton, if you play him, I think he's a good naked option too since you're just going for the rushing points and the rushing touchdown equity anyways. Like, why even stack him? Just play him by himself. And then I also like, because, you know, I, I think, I don't know if, if one defense in particular is going to get mushed. I think the Ravens are an awesome play against the Bears. The Browns, obviously. Get Tim Boyle. They're an amazing play. If you want to spin up, you got the 49ers. You got the Dolphins against the Jets. You got the Panthers against Washington. It's a good one. I don't know if anyone gets to the Texans, even though they're the cheapest. And I kind of like the Texans a lot. Uh, I think the Titans are vastly overrated in this game. Just taking out, like, a third down running back, like their pass catching option, and leaving Deontay Foreman and Adrian Peterson Plus, like, trying to mix in Marcus Johnson aside from an injured A.J. Brown. Like, I actually kind of like the matchup for the Texans, honestly. So I, I like trying to alleviate and get different off the field just in spending down and getting that excess salary from a stone man Texans defense that no one's going to play anyways because I think everyone's going to get cute and try to sneak Deontay Foreman past us. So I like that as sneaky leverage as well. Also, let me ask you, with all the news, this is my favorite play. As among all those, this is my favorite play. Do the Dolphins get lost with all the news? Because the Dolphins are like the best play on the slate, honestly, especially all their salaries. But now does like no one see them coming? Does no one see Miles Gaskin 27 touches? Does no one see Jalen Waddle 12 targets? He may get 13 yards with those 12 targets, but it's still 12 targets. Tua also, all you need to do, especially on DraftKings, to match Dak and Patrick Mahomes is get 300 yards and two touchdowns. We also have seen that Tua averaging four carries per year. He has a little bit of rushing juice, had both their carries inside the five last week. So like he can get you there as well. Like, does he also get lost here since everyone wants to play Cam Newton? I think Tua and the Dolphins are 
amazing leverage plays. Yeah, so I don't think Gaskin or Waddle get like lost. I think they both come in at, at ballpark efficient ownership. Two of them, for sure. I, I really would be surprised that if people are, you know, paying not the premium prices, not your Mahomes, Josh Allen type of prices for a quarterback, that they look down and they see Derek Carr in a game people want to play and Joe Burrow a little bit more, but then Cam Newton's super cheap. And between all those guys are like, I don't know. Tua is the one I want to go to. I really doubt that, even if I do think the rest of the offense, just because of the condensed nature of it with really having two viable pass catchers and they're shifting more towards really one running back, even if, you know, what is it, like 34 for 64 carries, or like 34 for mm-hmm. 60 or 34 carries for 64 yards, something like that over the past two games. But the volume is what we're chasing. And I think people will generally see that. But to your answer as the whole offense, it will not follow with two. I think that's the one player who would obviously be left out. I can't imagine he's more than like three, four percent, whereas Carr could push for like double digits, as could Burrow. We know for a fact Mahomes and Dak Prescott, I think, will be well over double digits. So, yeah, to, to answer the one part of your question that can probably help tie together the rest of the stack, Tua will be very unpopular. I like Tua a lot. I started the week on Burrow. I saw that everyone loves Burrow. If they don't play Dak or Mahomes, I imagine people play Burrow. And then I started getting on Tua and Lamar Jackson to a lesser extent. To your point, Gaskin also 76% on Miami's backfield touches without Malcolm Brown, who's already been ruled out the past three games, and 12 of 17 running back targets in that span. So Tua with Gaskin, with Waddle, I think are pretty awesome plays with it's crazy, but I, I think he has a similar ceiling. He practiced on full on Thursday and Friday. I think he has a similar ceiling to Dak, to be honest. So I like spending down and getting that and then building around them. Because even then, you can probably shove Tyreek Hill. You can shove Cowboys Chiefs players, like a skinny stack there, knowing that, well, no one's playing like Tua and the Dolphins offense around these players anyways. And also, you'll know what they are at 1 p.m. So that's a good news as well. And you can go from there. So I like that a whole lot. What about your fade of the week? To me, it's Bengals passing. Not that it's not like a good spot for the team, but I, I think they come in far too similar. At least I'm looking at projections right now. And I think I think Mahomes and even Dak will be more popular than you know the, the Bengals versus Raiders game, but I don't think it's enough. I think they come in far too close. If they are within four, five, six percent, I think the gap should be like closer to like eight nine percent different in the ownership between you know a Mahomes or even a Dak Prescott versus Joe Bird Derek Carr and I'm not sure we get that level of difference when I think that's what it should be and so the you know as I said the way to pull and there's an easy way to pull away from it which would be Joe Mixon whereas I think you know maybe the way with Daryl Williams is playing you could argue the opposite but I think with the an offense like the Chiefs it's a little harder to say well if they fail it's because Daryl Williams scores three rushing touchdowns Certainly possible, but I do think there's a, just such an obvious leverage point in Joe Mixon. Even Josh Jacobs, as his, like, one, he's dominating the backfield. He's kind of always done that. That's not much of a surprise, but he's getting targeted now, which is really interesting. He's got three games of five targets, four games of at least four targets in his past seven games. Like, he's truly becoming like that close enough to a three down running back. They're still using some Kenyon Drake, some, you know, they use a little bit of Jalen Richard, but they're getting him more involved for the first time. Why are they deciding now? I honestly couldn't tell you at what point this the, the third year. They're like, you know what? This guy who was touted as a pass catcher coming out of Alabama, let's finally use him that way. I don't know why, but they are finally using him that way. So just another way that he has, I think, a really interesting ceiling. And because his passing attack and the opposing passing attack will be the focal points of this game, I think him and Mixon come in as very un, un, unrostered or under-rostered players. So obvious pivot points to, I think, a passing attack that will be more popular than it should be. I am not saying I don't understand why the Bengals are popular, but I think they don't really hold a candle to like the Mahomes versus Dak Prescott supposed shootout. Totally fair. I will, (laughs) it's written on the pad, so I got to say it. I will not be playing AJ Dillon, assuming he's the most popular running back on the board. For all the reasons mentioned, I think there are amazing options around him, especially just being on the road. Like I understand they're indoors, but it's just a it's a great spot for leverage off of him with either Devontae Adams or Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook, especially, we've seen not getting in the end zone, but not for the lack of carries inside the five. It's literally just one of those odd things that have occurred, including like a penalty getting called back, and then Tyler Conklin gets the touchdown instead. Whereas like the Packers are gonna do what Joe Burry does. This past week against Seattle, they just play with a front six, not even a front seven, front six. 
kept six or fewer defenders inside the box on 97% of their defensive snaps, posted their deepest defender on average 16 yards off the line of the scrimmage, and they told the Seahawks, like, yeah, dink and run because you can't dink and dunk. And honestly, if you tell that to the Vikings, that's like the perfect, especially at home, indoors, the the quintessential Dalvin Cook game. So I think Dalvin Cook has... I'm worried about the catches so much that Tyler Conklin has emerged as their third option, but also even, you know, if we get three catches, I think it's good enough. All he needs to do to match any running back you're going to play anyhow is uh, go over hundred yards and a touchdown and easily in the cards for cook and knowing that there are so many cheap options or everyone's going to pay up for the potentially arguably higher ceiling option and Christian McCaffrey. I think Dalvin cook definitely gets lost. Definitely. And so uh, I think he's an awesome tournament option. Yeah, I do. Like, like, I have to consider every popular player as a potential fade because I am choosing to play. Like, I, I've, you know, I'm not dead set, but I do think that for me, the best path is just to play the Chiefs game from both sides. So I have to consider every other possible player a potential fade. And I like the idea as using Dalvin Cook as leverage off of AJ Dillon. And man, the, the Packers truly play the most miserably slow offense, 32nd in the NFL in seconds per play. And there's like a considerable gap between them and 31. They play slow. They have a defense that's good enough. They're not particularly good, but they've gotten better since that atrocious start to the beginning of the year. That their games just like, I mean, they're two, their games are two and eight this year on the over-under. They play slow, boring games, and that's how they want to win. And they're winning with it, so they're not going to move away from it. So just using one like one potential other on the other side to keep the game as a, well, these teams each score 17 to 20 points at a maximum. And those touchdowns on the other side just happen to go to Dalvin cook is like the ideal way to hopefully, I don't know, maybe it's also leverage off of Devonte Adams. I'm not sure about that. I'm trying to think like, is there any way you could play like a Vikings defense plus Dalvin cook? Like the thing is the Packers don't really project as like a giving up a ton of like they don't, you know, make a ton of terrible mistakes, but if it's just a low scoring game, maybe that's all you need. And we know they're getting healthier with Anthony Barback, a handful of others. We haven't heard about Patrick Peterson just yet. I don't think he's been ruled out. I think we'll know more. Their, their Twitter posted a posted a like GIF of him, like, you know, shaking his arms, hyping everyone up, implying that like he was coming back. And I don't it was know if that's actually, still, uh, it certainly helps, going to especially when, you know, you're only trying to yeah. shut down one player. I don't think, I don't think the Vikings defense Dalvin Cook corollary is bad at all, especially since I think that passing game got downgraded altogether. And if they get behind, you know, that's not only good for Dalvin Cook, it kills pretty much all the A.J. Dillon exposure as well. You know, he may come in with four or five catches, but I'll take that. I don't care as long as he's not getting 26 carries jammed in our throat. So I'm totally, totally fine with that idea. Do you have any thoughts before we get into skinny stacks? One game we haven't talked about. There will be cold weather, potentially snow, I'm hearing. Maybe to reach out to Chris Allen about this. Do you have any thoughts on Bills Colts? Yeah, to me, it doesn't seem like the most enticing game because I would imagine the Colts want to play in a way that keeps the scoring low. But I like to me, that is also something that everyone who is trying to play, you know, Chiefs, Cowboys, or even Raiders, Cincinnati is is this does seem like a game that features two offenses that have had no problem putting up points could end up getting lost in the shuffle. This is actually. I would say this game is probably the real pivot to Kansas City, Dallas. I think everyone sees the Raiders game as that type of game, but like the Colts who have like a historically efficient running game, the game has a 50 total and the Bills at least will do their part to make sure the game plays fast with tons of passing. Like it's got a high total. It's not as high as the Chiefs, obviously, but as far as the next tier of totals go, it's got a high total. It's got obvious players. Like who are you playing on the Colts? Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pitt. That's about it. Very obvious. If they get there, they're getting there with two players, maybe Mo Ali Cox or Zach Pascal throwing the one-off touchdown. Who cares? Don't worry about it. And now with Cole Beasley not even playing his, like he played a, a season low in routes in snaps last week. If they're just going to narrow down to Stephon Diggs, Emmanuel Sanders, maybe even Dawson Knox, it makes it even more obvious on the other side as well. So I think actually I, I began the beginning of the this portion saying I wasn't too interested in it. And now talking myself through it, it is probably the much more obvious pivot to the obvious chalk Dallas game. And I would imagine that, well, one, especially if there's weather, no one's going to play it. But also, like you said, it's very clear. It is Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs. You can't play any of their running backs to soak up the touchdown equity anymore. We don't know about Cole Beasley's health, but then again, it didn't matter because remember, with Dawson Knox healthy, it, Cole Beasley's targets were being taken away anyhow. Like he just wasn't a factor in fantasy whatsoever. And so, like, it is at most two options now Knox, Diggs, Allen, 
and that's about it. Yeah, and looking looking at pricing, like who is going to with the Chiefs in an absolutely not game, like the best game of the slate? Devontae Adams, obviously, is Devontae Adams just every week smash? Jamar Chase is the obvious pivot. Like even like Debo Samuel in an obvious awesome spot versus Jacksonville. Who is going to look at that lineup of receivers? And then with Stephon Diggs in the mix, having really like one big blow up game to his name this year, going to pick Stephon Diggs. Like I think he comes in among the receivers over seventy five hundred as if not the last or let's say among the receivers over 7k if not the last one the second to last in terms of ownership i I think it's really like him who else terry mccord would be like the other one or or maybe marquise brown depending on the health right there are something like 10 8 or 10 receivers on DraftKings over 7k he'll be bottom three among them very obviously even if josh allen still draws his own popularity i think he's probably a quarterback he's a candidate to be one off more often than not so I think you can get digs this week at as low ownership as you were getting him in the middle of his terrible stretch. Go ahead and move on to sneaky stacks. What do you have for us right now? There's a lot of like interesting sneaky stacks just because I do I think, agree. I think the, like, I'm not sure if I'm getting there necessarily because I have, you know, I have eyes for one game, but maybe it's stupid. Russell Wilson threw like 150 air yards to two receivers last week and their prices went down because none of those air yards connected truly an abysmal game to go into. However, now they don't play the team plays the slowest pace in the NFL. That team is also getting Kyler Murray back. It looks like, although I'm not hundred percent sure. So I think that game has more potential than Russell Wilson's first game back versus the Packers did. And it's Russell Wilson. Like uh, one game is not going to scare me off of his, you know, career long history of immense efficiency and they throw to two players it's very obvious and now as the prices come down you're not saying well can 7.5k and 6.9k dk metcalf tyler lockett get there it's two you know mid low 6k players they can both get there at their current prices right now more so than in the past when they were really getting getting priced up like middle of last year right so like i think i probably will sprinkle in some russell wilson at no ownership as he was last week totally fair i have quite a few I still, I still just keep coming back. It's so expensive. It's so hard. But then again, like Dak and Mahomes are expensive. So no one's going to play Lamar. Lamar's an awesome play for all the Bears injuries I mentioned. He's an awesome play, especially coming off like a letdown game against the Dolphins. So I like Lamar. I wish, I hope Marquise Brown were healthy because if so, like that's how you get there. But even then, if he's ruled out and Rashad Bateman is active and gets steamed, I still wonder how many people will play Lamar Jackson with Rashad Bateman. Do you have, like, do you think there's enough juice here? Because there are outs for the Bears offense. Like, did everything slow down for Justin Fields? So he has a better player running more with non-design runs. Like, he's actually just scrambling per PFF. And so, like, does this game have enough juice to play it? Or does the Ravens blitz, like we've seen every blitz this year, just end Fields? Yeah, I, I don't know if this game has enough juice to play it. I mean, I obviously was interested because you'll probably get Lamar at, you know, some of, if not like the lowest ownership you'll find him this year because there are just so many exciting quarterback plays on this slate. As we get into what, this week has two, only two buys. We're finally sort of pushing out of the buys, getting all of, or most of the good teams playing again. And obviously a super high total and a few other good 50 point totals. It will be the lowest you can find Lamar. But that also follows with the fact that it has a 44 and a half total. And even the Ravens only have a 25 implied team total. That's really not like that interesting. That's this, that's lower than the Browns. It's lower than the Bengals. It's lower than the Cowboys and Chiefs. No surprise there. You know, it's not really that enticing of a spot to play Lamar just based on what Vegas thinks of his team. But I, and the other thing is Marquise Brown is so expensive now. It's 7,100. That is a very steep price to pay when you're starting to get within arm's reach of the the super elite receiver plays, which he is a good receiver play. I don't, you can't argue that he's like a super elite receiver play. So I do think if he gets ruled out, potentially going to like Mark Andrews even, as that would be a really interesting play because I don't like Mark Andrews is on an offense that now will be the sixth, seventh, eighth most popular offense to play. And the offenses ahead of him all have pretty good tight, like uh, pretty good to great tight ends. You know, you're, if you're playing Derek Carr, who are you playing with him? You have two options and you're probably playing Darren Waller. Travis, Kel- or Travis Kelsey, like he is one of two, maybe three uh, pass catchers you can play with Patrick Holmes. I don't think Mark Andrews would be that popular and he would become undoubtedly like the focal point of the passing attack. I think more so than Bateman and Bateman would be the one to get steamed, I would imagine. So that could be a really good leverage play if the Marquise Brown news flops in that direction. Otherwise, I just struggle to play like a Marquise Brown. He's the obvious like 
air yards deep type of player, but at his price, like I, I think you're better off spending elsewhere. And that's kind of my argument against the whole game is that I just think price adjusted. The only thing you can say for it is Lamar Jackson low ownership, which is a good argument to make. And the Ravens defense, I believe giving up like the most passing yards per game this year, like, uh, you know, one of the five most passing yards per game. So, you know, it's, it's definitely a spot for a passer to succeed. Yeah. Most passing yards per game allowed, but Justin Fields is not the traditional passer. He would be susceptible to the style of Ravens play. Like you said, the blitz heavy, I don't think it has enough juice to answer your question straight up. I don't think it has enough juice. I understand the argument though. Low own, like low own Lamar Jackson is a good argument. It's just not enough at his price and his teammates' prices. Low on Lamar Jackson and David Montgomery run back is it's pretty interesting still. Montgomery I mean, is uh like super underpriced too, just for coming back to see, I believe, I 15 of 19 uh oh. running back touches and I think all of the running back targets the last time we saw him. They were on by last week, so it was two weeks ago, but came back from his uh was it a knee injury, right? Came back looked as used as they would ever use their bell cow running back. Now I guess next week rest too. So that does make a ton of sense. We had an avid listener earlier this week message us both and ask, Hey, is it possible to like just put more picks in the show? Just like, tell us which way you're leaning. My response was like, I appreciate it. Like, thank you for listening. But honestly, like we'll look into it, but no, like, because it's Friday afternoon, we're still learning after injury reports, but also it's just because like we we genuinely just don't know what the field is doing. And that's what DFS is this year. It's it's like it's what the field's doing, and then like judging from there which ways to go. So like that's why I'm giving you all my leans right now, because I genuinely just don't have an assertive game, like hard idea until like Sunday at 10 30, 11 30. Like that's when I think I'm locked in. Otherwise, like I literally tinker. I go on the golf course every Saturday morning and I tinker there as well. Like that's my between holes. That's how I clear my mind. I'm just tinkering and it's like, does this work? Does this work? What is everyone doing? So, no, like I can't. I want to, a uh, friend of the show, but I cannot give you a hard answer. That's why I like to bring up everything to just gauge some interest and thoughts between us. Another thing, I'm also forming, like, forming my opinions on this show, right? Like, I came in, like, not quite sure how I wanted to approach Chiefs-Cowboys, and I was talking about it, and as you talked about people really being interested in the, the Bengals-Raiders pivot, I was like, if people are that interested, and I, you know, I was looking at ownership across different sites, and they kind of had the same sentiment as you did, that people are going to, in my opinion, over-pivot to that game. Uh, it was, like, at that point as we talked through it that I started to form, started to solidify that opinion. I had that lean, but I sort of solidified that. And then I literally began like the first sentence of saying, I'm not that interested in uh, Indianapolis versus Buffalo. And at the end of that sentence, I was like, this is exactly what everyone is saying. It's just not the most appealing game. It's not the highest total. And it doesn't have the cheap pivot option to go to, you know, cheap Derek Carr. And that's why no one's going to play it. And by the end of that paragraph, I was like, you probably, if you want the pivot to play that game, like I have, you know, literally formed like multiple opinions in the past 44 minutes. You mentioned... Tyler Lockett, Seahawks passing game. And I do think Tyler Lockett's an awesome play. I'd choose him over DK Metcalf, actually, this game. I would say you can play Tyler Lockett with James Conner. And it's awesome, skinny stack. We saw a season high in snaps from James Conner. And if anything, his situation got better because Kyler Murray, it looks like he's going to be back. So why wouldn't you just play James Conner at 6,100, like 100 less than AJ Dillon? That's a, that's a pivot in itself. Like, if you want to let the field have him, like, just take Conner. He's got the same role. It's literally going to be like uh, it was such a similar role where the the running back who catches the passes, even though Dylan mm -hmm. was getting some targets, but that guy leaves. He also takes some carries, and the backups are like legit nobodies. Like the backup is like you know Benjamin, who they healthy scratch like all of his rookie season or whatever. It's the exact same argument as playing AJ Dylan. But just I, I would argue the case to play Connor is better than Dylan's because Connor's in the afternoon too. Um, we already know Connor's going to come in under rostered, but then you get to see your tournament, whichever one you're playing, see how highly rostered AJ Dillon is, and then work from that, knowing he has the same role. So I like I like Connor outright better than Dillon. I already mentioned naked Cam Newton, but also Cam Newton with DeAndre Carter, especially if the field goes all John Bates, practically the same price. Everyone's going to try to get cheap in the Cowboys Chiefs game at receiver. So you just get cheap in that game instead as a skinny stack and run back. Uh, I also think Hunter Renfro should come in under rostered with any bingle stack. Do you think he's going to like catch 12, 15%? I think 12 is probably correct. Yeah, I do think so. Okay. That's, that's actually not what I guessed, 
but yeah, okay, that's that's totally fair then. If that's the case, I don't need to play 12% Hunter Renfro, but I do think it's an awesome matchup for him. Yeah, he's like, if you were playing that game as the pivot, it's it makes a ton of sense. I just think that game comes in a little popular. And I do think he ends up being popular. Like he has been like a, a fringe cash play in the previous few weeks just because of how many targets he gets on a pretty good passing attack, no doubt about it. So I think he's sort of entered the zeitgeist enough that uh, he is not sort of this... Uh, like, you know, week four, the you know, I assume the first time he caught a bunch of passes, like week three or four, probably wasn't popular after that. But after he's done it again and again, and his price isn't ludicrous yet, I think he's probably popular. I can pull up, uh, you know, a few different sites ownership, but honestly, I think I have a grasp on it. I think it's low double digits. And then no one's going to play. I don't even know if it's a good play, but Nick Chubb makes a lot of sense if he's healthy. The thing is, we've seen players return from the COVID list this year, and it affects everyone differently, but it's usually not a good result. And so, like, in his first game back, I do wonder if he's at full health. But if he is, that's the tournament question. Of course, it's against the Lions, like, and you can just correlate him with the Browns' defense, and it's just a smash play. He just has to be at full health. And I think the Browns' defense, Nick Chubb, everyone's probably going to get on Browns' defense anyhow against Tim Boyle, but... Nick Chubb, I'm curious to see, because if he's less than 10%, I'm interested. If he is not 10%, that's when he gets that's when he gets steamed and I probably get off him. No, I, I think Nick Chubb like has all of the all the telltale signs of like uh obvious sort of I don't know. I just mean it's just like obvious play equals obvious, like <laughs> Occam's razor. Uh high high implied team total, 27 points for a team that wants to run the football that is physically diminished to the point where they can only probably run the football because their quarterback has shoulder is his non-throwing shoulder but his non-throwing shoulder was dislocated the scapula of his shoulder is fractured or whatever foot injury knee injury receivers are not good to me it, it it doesn't make sense for them to want if they're if they're able to run the football which you totally are against the lines and you totally are when you have nick chubb to me it feels obvious for them obvious for the field i don't know if he's the most popular player but I, I most popular running back. I don't know if he's top five, but seeing him creep anywhere outside of the top six or seven, to me, he feels like the ultimate normie play. Okay, fair enough. Let's go ahead and end the show with some loose notes. Producer, hit the theme that doesn't exist and get into my Kerouacian thoughts. Rank Ingram, Daryl Williams, and Jeff Wilson for me. I would go... For tournament exposure. Yeah, probably Daryl, especially because I think you can play Daryl straight up as just a stacking part of your Chiefs. Like, he gets used somehow so much more as a receiver or as a pass catcher out of the backfield than Clyde Slayer ever did. So yeah, I would say Daryl Williams first and we're Ingram and who's the other one? Jeff Wilson. Jeff Assuming Wilson. Assuming Elijah Mitchell's going to get it? rolled out. Yeah. Whichever one is less popular. Which one do you think would be less popular? Jeff Wilson gets to place the play the Jaguars. I'm guessing he would be more popular and I would take Mark Ingram because I, their roles will be the same, you know, I guess short, obviously playing the Jaguars is better than, almost any other matchup, but uh, I would just take uh, basically the same role on, I think, not that much worse of a team. So I, I think you answered this question, but just to be clear, you're saying, and I believe you, uh, you can and would play Daryl Williams with Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes. Yep, totally. Cool. Okay, that's that's kind of thought I had on too. Like how many people will try to force Pringle or a secondary receiver, even Kelsey, as opposed to Hill and... Williams. I would even go Tyreek and Williams without Mahomes, I think, just trying to get the touchdowns. I think you can also do that, yes. What about, on that same note, Jeff Wilson, if Elijah Mitchell gets ruled out, is going to get steamed. Is it enough to consider leverage with either Debo Samuel or Brandon Ayuk? Because I've played with Brandon Ayuk, same price, 5K, Jeff Wilson 100 more, and no one's going to get there. No one will ever get there. And it's <laughs> obviously a, it's a great matchup for the passing game, Garoppolo also has been incredible. The QB8 the last three games in a row, 18 fantasy points per game because over 70% of his snaps are played from shotgun now where he gets pressured less. Thus, he's like passing more efficiently from a clean pocket, over 10 yards per attempt from a clean pocket in those three games. So like it's a good it's a good spot for the passing game and I don't think anyone will play there. So does it make sense to leverage off Wilson to one of the receivers? Yeah, absolutely. I would probably just rather do Kittle like over Ayuk, though, obviously even okay. adjusting for his price. Uh, but I think all of the receivers make sense, sense as leverage points. And I think Debo, I talked about, I think I briefly name-dropped him among those 7K-plus wide receivers that uh, won't be popular. For someone like 
Terry McLaurin at, I think, 7K flat. Like, of course, I, I probably wouldn't choose to play him, even at his ownership, even at his price, over the more chalky, expensive, you know, Tyreek Hills, you know, maybe even, you know, the the Jamar Chases of the world, even if I think Chase is overowned, because I don't really want to be playing Washington players. But the 49ers passing attack has been, like, pretty substantial this year. And he, I mean, Debo's been absolutely lights out. He's 108, I think, receiving yards per game, second only to Cooper Cup, just by a handful of yards. Also has a little bit of that rushing equity, and he's been scoring touchdowns. Like, he is, I mean, legitimate alpha number one receiver, like top two fantasy receiver. So his price, I think, is completely appropriate, maybe even a bit underwhelming his price could be for his production. I think, like, outright he's a good play, let alone the fact that he could be leveraged off of uh, a running back on his team. He and Kittle, I think, are, especially him, but Kittle as well, are so reasonable to good leverage plays at their prices that I really think like a, a Jimmy G stack is like definitely worth considering. I don't think I'll get there, but like Jimmy G stack. And then, as you said, you know, using potentially just a Tyreek Hill, uh, you know, Michael Gallup or whatever run back, you know, the secondary stack and hoping that the, uh, you know, somehow the Jaguars maybe give up a lot of points to a passing attack. that has been pretty good. Yeah. That could work out. I think. What about Cam with McCaffrey? Cam's going to be very popular at 5,100. Not going to get by anyone. That's why I still like Tua. You mentioned Garoppolo. I've toyed with that a little bit too. I, I thought like, man, that's that's a good spot. I just worry about, I, I still worry about him getting there because obviously no rushing upside. You still need 300 yards for him. And so like Tua just makes more sense in like the best possible spot against a historically bad Jets defense. Um, but what about Cam with McCaffrey? Yeah, you can play Cam with McCaffrey. I think it'll be really, both players, I guess, will be really popular. Together, though, probably not. So, yeah, it's fine. You can play it. It's not something I'll be doing, I doubt, though. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm playing Cam. So. What about Dylan and Adams together? How popular do you think that will be? Definitely. Can you do that? Definitely play. You could play, you could have played Aaron Jones and Adams together. I think that was pushing up against thinner because you needed them to score probably as a team, five touchdowns. If you get really lucky, you could probably get there with four. But now with Dylan having a larger role and not that, you know, 7K sort of Aaron Jones price, yes, you can definitely do that too. I, I think it's going to be heavily duped too because there's- Yeah, I'm not going to, but you can. Yeah, there, there are two obvious cash plays. So yeah. I, I'm actually I'm actually going to say don't do that. Don't, you can. It it projects fine is I guess what I meant by you yeah. can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going uh, to. <laughs> For tournaments, though, yeah, do not do not do that because I mean, no. it's just the optimal cash game build. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to everyone. You know that. And mm -hmm. then highest rostered between or who is higher rostered, T. Higgins or Chase or Jamar Chase? I was looking at projections. They had T. Higgins. I'm going to – actually, I am going to say T. Higgins because I do think – I think so too. I think so too just because Jamar Chase is expensive enough that I still think despite his game being, uh, you know, probably the obvious second game to play – I still think people would rather play a T Higgins lineup and one off Kansas city. Like that's the more popular way to play burrow just because of how pricing works out. Chase is great, but he is still not Tyreek Hill. He, you know, he's still not these players. He's still not even Debo Samuel. I think Samuel is outscoring him this year on DK. So I would say um, probably T Higgins, although both I think are well over 15% like the Millie maker or something. Makes sense. And with that, any other thoughts before we get out of here? No, I think I, I think we've covered it all. And I think this feels like one show more than most where I actually form, formed more opinions on this show than any other. Same. We have given you our leans as of Friday afternoon. Some things will change. We'll learn what our opponents will do. But nonetheless, we have left you with our thoughts. So with that, do not count the green this week since the Chiefs and Cowboys looms lurks in the afternoon. Do not look at those lineups early unless you're late swapping. But until then, good luck. We'll be back for more thoughts, both on DFS and those start-sit questions in the chat Sunday, noon Eastern, presented by Applebee's for the start-sit show. So tune in then. Until then, here's Kyle Dvorak, at Kyle Tweets here on Twitter. I am John Daigle, at NotJDaigle on Twitter. Good luck. We will be back next week.